The scripture reading today is from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verses 35 through 45. You can find it printed on page 10 of your worship folder. In the morning, while it was still very dark, Jesus got up and went out to a deserted place, and there he prayed. And Simon and his companions hunted for him. When they found him, they said to him, everyone is searching for you. He answered, let us go on to the neighboring towns so that I may proclaim the message there also, for that is what I came out to do. And he went throughout Galilee, proclaiming the message in their synagogues and casting out demons. A leper came to him, begging him, and kneeling, he said to him, if you choose, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I do choose, be made clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. After sternly warning him, he sent him away at once, saying to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded as a testimony to them. But he went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the word so that Jesus could no longer go into a town openly, but stayed out in the country, and people came to him from every quarter. The word of the Lord. Take a moment now for silent reflection. Gracious God, as we gather this morning, like the leper who says, if you choose, you can make me clean. Help us to hear today that you do choose us, that you choose to be with us, you choose to make us clean, you choose to walk with us, you choose to share our pain, to share our lives, you choose us. Give us grace to believe that you are even right now pursuing each one of us in love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. His hand felt like sandpaper. Never felt a hand quite like this hand from this huge man. He was a man who I had seen often at this golf course that my dad would take me to when I was a kid. He'd be out there at the end of the driving range just hitting one shot after another. And I would notice he would hit, like, the whole time I was on the driving range, he was hitting shots that were about 25 or 35 uh, yards. Um, and then he'd change his club, and then he'd do it for another 30 minutes, just one angle. And then I'd see him after I'd played with my dad. Then I'd see him later, and he was in a sand trap, and he would just be hitting balls out of sand traps over and over and over again. And then my dad introduced me to this man. And his name was Andy Bean. Andy Bean was a professional golfer. And his hands were so callous. That's why I said they were like sandpaper. And I said to him, and as, I, as I shook his hand, I was like, wow, this is what all this practice does to your hands. And he goes, yes, it does. And he said, I'm trying to develop as much muscle memory as I can. Now, you've heard that phrase before probably, right? Muscle memory. You just do something repetitively over and over again to where you don't necessarily feel like you have to think it through all the way. Your body just begins to respond. And so you, your weight shifts in a particular way, and you learn just your hands and your arms can feel 
how you have to grip the club or how, you ha- how hard you have to strike the ball. You may have muscle memory in other areas. Maybe it's in your profession where you do things where people say to you, you know, I, you do that without effort because you've done it thousands, tens of thousands of times. You have thoughts about things and you, you understand things because you don't realize it, but then when you look back on it, you realize, oh my gosh, I have actually been doing this a long time. Muscle memory it works in all sorts of different ways. I love preaching on the first Sunday of the year because it gives me a chance to preach a sermon that helps us reset a little bit to kind of say, what are some things I need to be intentional and lean into? Because here we are, we have a tendency to do this. It's the first of the, first of the year. What do I want to happen in this year? What do I want 2020 to look like for me? And so scrap the sermon title. I had to give it a sermon title like two weeks ago, and I've changed this entirely. We're going to talk about muscle memory, the muscle memory of love. Because I believe in its most simple and brought down to its very core, the muscle memory of Christianity should be love. Very simple, but I want to tell you, transformative. And it involves taking Jesus' words seriously. I've said this many times. I believe American Christianity would much rather worship Jesus than follow Jesus. Would much rather worship Jesus than actually take up Jesus on Jesus' ideas. Like, love your enemy. Like, extend mercy. Like, do justice. Like, stand with those on the margins. Like, pursue peacemaking. See, these are the muscle, the muscle memory of love is found in these simple and challenging concepts that require action. You have to be converted. Many times in American Christianity, you have to be converted from believing Jesus to following Jesus. Dietrich Bonhoeffer talked a lot about this in his book, The Cost of Discipleship. He talked about the conversion that we must actually have has to go from just simply agreeing with Jesus and believing Jesus to actually becoming a disciple of Jesus. Very challenging. Good to be challenged first of the year. And so in this story, this early story of Jesus, and, you know, and Mark kind of gets off to the races really quickly. We just go from one action to another. So it's very different than some of the other Gospels. But here we have this early story of Jesus. I believe some things we can look at, three practices of love in this passage that maybe help set us up well for 2020. The first is inner love. Inner love. Or paying attention to the interior of your life. Because that's what's going on here with Jesus. It says in the passage, if you'll see in the first few verses there, in the morning while it was still very dark, he got up and went out to a deserted place and there he prayed. Now, I know some of you are from backgrounds where you weren't considered spiritual unless you got up at 5 a.m. to pray, right? Spirituality by alarm clock. Yeah, I, I was kind of raising this. I've heard some of you talk about how it's very intense in your church setting. So let me tell you, if you don't want to pray in the morning, it's okay. I'm just giving you all permission, all right? It's fine to pray at other parts of the day. The point of this is not in the morning. The point of it is is find a quiet place. See? Jesus is at the height of his popularity right now. He is 
He is hitting it hard. People are crowding. People are following. Jesus is knocking the ball out of the park. He was the man. You ever had a chapter like that in your life? Everything was just going great. Everybody wanted to hear your opinion. Everybody wanted to get what you thought about things. You ever, you ever, maybe it was just really intensely busy. When Jesus got intensely busy, you know what he did? He made time to pay attention to his interior journey. He set aside time for quiet and solitude. Because what's the first thing that goes in the midst of great success? Quiet, solitude, and prayer. Maybe Jesus knows exactly what Richard Rohr said 1,900 years later. And he said, once we reach the age of 30, success is nothing to teach us. Success is fun and rewarding, but we don't learn anything new from it. It's not a bad friend. It's just a lousy teacher. The only thing that can teach us that can get through to us and profoundly change us is suffering, failure, loss, and wounds, unfortunately. But not just wounds. Wounds that because of the interior work you're doing in your life, wounds that have become teachers instead of just open wounds. Because if we don't resolve the inner conflicts that we all have in this lifetime, our pain will be acted out in all sorts of various ways. Another famous Richard Rohr quote, if we don't transform our pain, we will transmit it. And it takes this kind of commitment to inner love to the interior journey where there are times of quiet and times of stillness and times of solitude, I can tell you that making time in your life for stillness and quiet and solitude will save your life and does save lives and has saved mine in many ways. We are so pushed to be busy and to be successful that the first thing that can go is actually paying attention to the interior journey. Jesus prioritized this. You cannot do the work of Jesus from a place of exhaustion, from a place of being frantic. Mm -hmm. You can't do it. You know, we're having this service tomorrow night. And we have these prayer services that we sprinkle throughout the year some. And, and it's so interesting to me because I get somebody saying something almost exactly like this every time. Because in that service, we'll have times where we sit in silence for five minutes. Gasp! We can't look at our phones or anything. <laughs> and we'll just sit there. And almost every time somebody would come to me and say, you know what, I had no idea how badly I needed to be quiet how the noise had just been turned up so much. Jesus prioritized this. He made time for this. He believed the scriptures that said, be still and know that I am God. Isn't that interesting? Be still. How simple, how hard. <laughs> how simple and how hard. What would it look like for you at years beginning here for 2020, 
to prioritize your inner life. That's the first thing, inner love. Secondly, outer love. <laughs> outer love. So what happens next is the leper comes to him. You need to just time out. Hold on. That's not what lepers were supposed to do. Okay. In this setting in the first century, this would be a major breach of protocol. You have to understand, we think of this as a disease, and we think of it as biomedically a disease, but the way that people thought about sickness was much more different, much different in the first century. It wasn't thought of just in terms of biomedics, but what one man calls ethno, ethnomedics, because it was all of these social connotations as well. It was believed that if you had things like this, you obviously had sinned somewhere in your life. You'd done something wrong. Um, it, you were outcast. You were pushed out. We still, you know, we still do that a little bit, right? We still punish people who were sick. We still look at people who are sick and go, what did you do wrong? What'd you, what, did, you not, did you eat wrongly? Did you not get enough exercise? This is your fault. We go to fault and blame just like that. So this, it's not like we're this far away from it still. But this leper was supposed to scream as he got near anyone, unclean, unclean. There were rules for how lepers were supposed to act. And this leper blows through about 20 stop signs of what was required of him in this social setting to go straight to Jesus. Because I believe the answer is, why did he do that? I believe the answer is that he saw, as it says in the passage, that Jesus had pity, had such a Weak English word. It's, it's much deeper than that. It's the same word that when Jesus looks out over the crowd of the multitudes and it says he had compassion on them like sheep without a shepherd. It's this guttural, like bodily sensation feeling. You've had it before, I'll bet. You just felt so deeply sorry for someone or, or just had such deep empathy for someone that it just it moved you gutturally. This is what Jesus is doing here. I believe the leper knew real love when he saw it, and he flocked to Jesus. Jesus so dripped with the mercy and love of God that lepers flocked to him, outcasts flocked to him, failures flocked to him. They flocked to his love. Now, I'm going to make a point that's a little bit different, but just stay with me. But I believe the leper saw a love that was greater than the kind of love you see when you're only trying to follow the letter of the law. And here's why. I did the research on this in the, the most astounding commentary on the book of Mark that I've ever read is Ched Meyer's Binding the Strongman, a political reading of Mark, if you're interested in that kind of thing. But he brings this out because as I was looking at this, there are all these weird emotions in the story. If you, if you pay attention to it, you know, the, the leper comes up and says, you know, if you choose, would you heal me? That's kind of odd. Like, what's going on with that? I just, I don't see that a lot other places. And then, I don't know if you paid attention to it, but for some reason, Jesus is ticked off. Have you noticed that? After he heals the man, he sternly, it says, he sternly. Uh, after sternly warning him. Now, that, in its original languages, we're talking anger. Why is Jesus ticked? What's he, what's he irritated about now, someone might ask? Should be a lot of joy right now, it would seem to me. They've just healed this man. So what's going on here? 
This is what Chad Myers believes, and I think he's got it right. That Jesus, first of all, is defying the priestly prerogative. There were ways for you to get some kind of social healing or even religious healing, as in, I can be allowed to worship in the temple, if you went through certain ways with the priests of that time. But you know what else you had to have? Money. It would create, it was a payment system. It was an unjust system to those who didn't have enough to get the care they needed. Once you start asking questions about health care and what does Jesus think about health care and things like that, you think it doesn't connect to the New Testament, once you start looking for it, you see it everywhere. Because I think what happened is the leper comes to Jesus and says, if you choose, as in, if you dare, if you dare to go against the letter of the law way of doing this, if you choose to do it, and I think Jesus is angry at the end of this and sternly warns him not to go tell anybody else, but go straight to the, to the leaders to tell them, the priests, because he had already been and been rejected for reasons we don't know. Jesus sees a system of injustice that has hurt this man badly. And he warns him sternly. I think Jesus is irritated that human life is just held with such cavalier attitudes and a person is being damaged. So Jesus has outer love, might even say aggressive love. To be available. So in the first point, he makes himself unavailable so that he can be ready to make himself available with this compassionate love. So quick application. How will you use your position and power to express outer love in 2020? We asked the same question at the first point. How are you going to do inner love in 2020? How are you going to do outer love in 2020? What does that mean for you? What conversations with whom do you need to have? What conversations do you need to have and with whom? What habits need to be changed or what habits need to be put into place? What generosity do you need to employ? What, what does it mean for you to be available to your friends and to your coworkers and to your family and to your spouse and to your children? What does it mean for you to be available in a way that's healthy so that you have outlets to express this outer love. And lastly in this passage, uh, and it's, it's a little bit different than the second point, but it's a kind of a, it's like point 2B, <laughs> proximate love. Proximate love. And I'm not just sitting here checking Twitter. My printer did not work this morning. So just so you know, I have to call up this document. By the way, what the heck is going on with printers? What? <laughs> Think about it. We've made so much technological advances, everything. We should just be able to plug a dang printer in, and it works every time. But no, we have to go download a driver and then pray to God that our laptop or whatever it is we have will recognize the printer. 
right? Does it recognize it's still offline? No, it's not offline. It's plugged in. I digress. Sorry. <laughs> I had a printer meltdown this weekend. It's, it's, I've been dealing with it. This is, okay, this is free. I've been dealing with it now. I've been dealing with it for a year. And on and off, this damn printer decides to not work and work at very critical moments, like printing out things for me to bring to preach on. And I, I said, to heck with it. I'm done. So I bought a new one yesterday. I came in yesterday. Cheapy, just a little personal laser print, like 80 bucks, 50 bucks, something like that. And, you know, just bottom line, no big deal. Worked like a charm. Got up this morning, didn't work. <laughs> I now have two perfectly fine printers. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Take care of the shepherd so I can take care of the sheep. Thank you. Okay, sorry about that. We can edit that minute and a half out of the sermon online. But proximate love, proximate love, proximity is such an interesting word and an important word. Jesus made himself proximate, not distant, from the most vulnerable of people. Think about that for just a minute. Jennifer McBride, as a Jennifer McBride quote in the worship folder, but we're not using that one. I have a different one. I'm going to read to you right now. Jennifer McBride wrote a book called Radical Discipleship. Um, and it's a, a, a liturgy of the politics of the gospel or something along those lines. It's a fantastic book. And in it, she says this. She says, reducing distance. Um, she said this. The conversion, and I mentioned this a little earlier, the conversion from believer to disciple entails a change of position, namely from a privileged position that distances us from those whom society despises and neglects and neglects to a location that makes solidarity with them more possible. This conversion may happen only when we reduce the distance between ourselves and those who struggle under the dominant social order, when we reduce the difference between the privileged and the oppressed, between those who are systematically advantaged and those who are systematically disadvantaged, like this leper, he was systematically disadvantaged, when we reduce the distance across socioeconomic and racial lines, when we reduce the distance between the housed and the homeless, between inmate and free, when we seek solidarity with others based on the life and teachings of Jesus." So this is what I mean. Jesus had proximate love to this leper. How proximate was it? The leper asked Jesus, make me clean. Such an interesting choice of words. Not just make me well, but make me clean. Because the leper was understood to be unclean socially, spiritually, couldn't worship, physically, obviously. And could never, ever be touched. We now know what physical touch means to human beings, how badly we need physical touch, how babies who aren't touched are malnourished and develop all sorts of problems just by simply not being touched. And what does Jesus do? What could have Jesus done? You stay over there. I'm going to keep the distance because I'm the Son of God and I can heal from anywhere. Didn't do that. He reduced the distance all the way to doing what? Touching the leper. Because he needed more than his skin healed, he needed his soul 
healed. He needed to feel whole again, like a human being that was desired and longed for and known and seen like every single one of you. Mm. He touches the man, touches him. Jesus becomes proximate. You know when we get proximate is when we see people not as issues but human beings. You know this to be true, right? So bold behind our keyboards. But when we talk to a person face to face, things change. At least we hope they do. When we see people as humans, we get proximate to those who are most vulnerable, as Jesus did. The leper was supposed to make Jesus leprous, and instead, He was healed. Chad Myers in his commentary says this is why he didn't want anybody telling, he didn't want him telling everybody in the, except just go straight to the priests. Because one of the things is, is from this point on, Jesus is a marked man. Jesus would be known to someone who touched the leper. And it says that Jesus had to go into the countryside. (laughs) It's a way of saying Jesus had to go hide. It wasn't his time and he knew it. Because I want to tell you, when you become proximate and make yourself more and more proximate to vulnerable populations and people, not everybody's going to think it's a great idea. And so, 2020, muscle memory of love. What are you going to do about inner love? How are you going to embody outer love? How are you going to be able to move in to proximate love? The most basic thing of the whole sermon is this. Are you ready? You will not do that. Unless you say to God, say to Jesus as this leper did, if you choose, make me clean. And if you can somehow hear Jesus saying back to you, I do choose you. I choose you. Gracious God, help us today. as we enter into this year that, frankly, for many in this room, seems extremely scary. Like it's good to be a hard year, 2020. And so help us. Help us to do the inner work. Help us to get the help we need to do the interior journey. Help us as we seek to be intentional about outer love and compassionate love for those around us. Give us courage and grace to be proximate in our love, all because we know you are for us, 
you are with us, you love us, you choose us. That we might rest our identity in the beauty of the gospel. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.